Well, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, what should I preach on? Giving thanks in everything. I don't know why it struck me a few years ago, the reality of this verse, in all things give thanks. I guess I'd never really considered the lesson of the fact that it's not because of everything or in spite of everything or instead of everything, but just in everything, practice giving thanks. It could be a game at first, looking for something to be grateful for in every situation. I don't know, maybe at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you should go around and ask what you're thankful for and just cultivate that habit, that pattern. What can I be thankful for? Even in difficult situations, there's always something for which to be grateful. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. And when the scriptures tell us to do something, once again, I I know I harp on this, but it's so true. When the scriptures tell us to do something, it's because God knows that in doing so, we'll be fulfilling the purpose for which he created us. We'll be happier. We'll be more content. We will be uh, more fulfilled. And so in everything, practice thanksgiving. Here are the verses, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Here's the verse. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verses eight and nine. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Someone told me after the 830 service, they had written in their margin, you cannot know the peace of God until you know the God of peace. And that is true. Let's bow. Father, as we come just on the eve of Thanksgiving, we go through life with our heads down, going through the motions, and seldom pause long enough to consider the lilies and the birds and the air we breathe and the clothes and the food and the shelter and so great a salvation that Jesus bought for us. Help us lean into thanksgiving with gratitude and change our entire orientation toward life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I believe one of the most important attitudes that you and I can cultivate, that we can ever nurture, is the attitude of thanksgiving. And I'm more and more convinced of that every day. The attitude makes a difference in our entire outlook, our entire perspective on life. Being grateful being thankful. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, make your request known. Let your petitions be made known. Ask God 
for what you need, for what you want, what concerns you, what troubles you, what you desire. But in everything, give thanks. Give thanks. And it's not a suggestion. It is a command. It is an imperative. I saw a cartoon of a family gathered together for Thanksgiving dinner. And the father said to the mother, I don't want to complain about leftovers, but haven't we already said the blessing for this food three times? That's about the way it is with turkey, isn't it? You get it Thanksgiving Day, and then you have sandwiches, and then you have some kind of casserole with turkey in it, and then you get soup until it's gone. But yes, say the blessing over it every time. He didn't want to complain about leftovers, but he did. He, he knew he was supposed to give thanks in all things, but he found it difficult. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's those things that are difficult to give thanks for. You, you work at it. You practice it until it becomes a way of life, until it becomes more habitual, until you begin to, to realize around you all the things that you have gone through, that have, you have just walked by without ever pausing long enough to realize what a blessing it is, what a gift it is, and having given thanks for it. I love the story about Matthew Henry, and I know I tell this every Thanksgiving because to me, this is just the epitome of, of giving thanks in a difficult situation. I think I have it memorized. I've told it so often. He was, Matthew Henry was a commentator on the Bible. He wrote a Matthew Henry's commentator. It's about a 12 or 14 volume set. And then there's a, a one, uh, one volume short version of it. Late 1600s, early 1700s, he would travel the roads of England and preach and preach the gospel. And then that evening he would write his thoughts and he would write commentary on what he preached. And that has been compiled into a complete set. One day while he was traveling, he was robbed. And that evening when he wrote his diary entry, this is what he wrote. Lord, today I was robbed and I thank you for these things. First of all, I thank you that though I was robbed, I've never been robbed before. Secondly, I thank you that though they took my all, it wasn't much. And I thank you that though they took my purse, they didn't take my life. And here's the clincher. He said, Lord, I thank you that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Even in being robbed, he could just list the things for which he was grateful Paul tells us to give thanks in all things, so how can we go about giving thanks? Briefly, in obvious things, in obscure things, in objectionable things, just be obedient. That's my outline for this morning. First of all, in obvious things, there's some things that are just so close to home, so obvious, that we just take them for granted. We don't stop long enough to realize what a blessing we have in the clothes on our back and the food on our plate and this free country to, to worship God for the, the gift of salvation that Jesus died on the cross to purchase for us. And we just go through the day with our heads cowed over, thinking about all the problems, thinking about all the, the difficulties and the challenges, not to minimize those, but just to... to maybe reorient our focus a little bit. I heard someone say a long time ago that 
It's just human nature. If someone holds up a great white poster board but has a little black dot in the corner, where does your attention go to? It goes to the black dot. You focus on the negative when there's so much of the white poster there. And that's the way it is so much in life. There's so much for which to be grateful, but we focus so intently on the little black specks of problems and challenges and, and difficulties. It's like the story in Luke of the 10 lepers who were healed, told to go wash and then show themselves to the priest. And of those 10, how many returned to actually give thanks to Jesus? Only one. And because that story was so dramatic for a long time, I just had it in my mind that it was a parable. But it wasn't just a parable. It was a real life experience, event that, that happened to Jesus. And he healed these 10 lepers and only one came back to give thanks. Only one. A woman was upset that her husband didn't tell her quite often enough how much he loved her. And so he said, look, I told you I loved you when we got married. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. And that's the way it is. We just take things for granted. We don't tell people how much we care. There are just so many blessings. You just begin listing, if you don't mind, in your own mind, some things for which you have to be grateful things I might not even be aware of that God has blessed you with. We worry and we fret. And Paul tells us to rejoice, to rejoice several times, to give thanks, to focus on the positive and not on the negative when it is so instinctive and such human nature to focus on the negative. Reorient your outlook on what is good and positive and true and lovely. And focus on those things. Work on those things. Think about those good things that God has given you. Of course, the greatest gift that we don't often think about is what Jesus did for us on the cross and the salvation we have in the relationship with a loving Father who's not capricious, who's not up there just pulling strings and, and doing things to us to punish us, though we deserve it. He is a loving Father who created us and who gives us the freedom to love Him back and made it possible by what Jesus did for us on the cross. So when we begin to think of things for which to be grateful, why is that so important? Because at first it might take a little effort, it might take a little, being a little intentional about it, but eventually it becomes a way of life and then what happens? It spills over into other areas of life and we find ourselves becoming more positive and more optimistic and our outlook improves because we have begun seeing all the good things that God has given us and all the advantages and all the freedoms and all the opportunities and all the resources that are at our disposal. I think I wrote in my Beacon article this week about if you have food to eat and clothes on your back and a shelter over your head, how blessed you are. And if, if you have, have grown up in a country that has been free from war and you haven't experienced bombings and persecution, how, how rare that is. And if you can even read how even more rare that is because so much of the world's population don't have any of those opportunities. And worst of all, they can't even read to know all that they're lacking. And obvious things, 
Begin noticing them. The beauty of a leaf turning in the fall, of of a flower opening, of a bird singing, of the freedom that we have. We just rush through the day thinking about our problems and the challenges and rarely stop to smell the roses when they're all around us. Obvious things. What about obscure things? Those are the things that we don't usually notice right away. And Paul says he helps us because in verses 8 and 9, he tells us to focus on them, to think on them, the word to ponder them. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, anything excellence, anything worthy of praise, ponder these things. Focus on the, what do we do? We focus on the negative. Paul says, think about what is good and true and lovely. The word true is not just something that's truthful, but it means something that is solid and lasting and has a firm foundation. Things that are true, like you you call a friend who is a true friend, a friendship, a marriage, relationships, those are things that are true. Think about all your friendships. Think about your family. Focus on that. Things that are lovely. Things that are beautiful. The sunset. I remember going home one afternoon and I head west usually in the evening to go home and I see the the purple and the orange and the indigo hues and I think, way to go, God. Great job on the sunset tonight. Who else could have created something so beautiful. Don't just rush from sun up to sundown, but pause occasionally and notice the beauty of God's creation around you. Ponder the things that are lovely. Finally, ponder the things that are of good report, things that have a good reputation, that are positive and uplifting. Seldom do people gossip about something good. Instinctively, we gossip about somebody's problems or uh, something that we've heard that's negative or, or some complaint that we want to circulate. I see that happen. What Paul is saying, think about the things that are of good report, that have a good reputation, and begin circulating those. Put something positive out there and let that begin to take root. Ponder that. Think on that. Why? Because it will begin to change your heart. It will begin to change your perspective and you'll become a more positive and optimistic and uplifting person. And and let's face it, people don't want to be around those that pull them down. They want to be around those that lift them up. And you can become a person just like that by reorienting your own heart and your own life and your own outlook towards something that is positive. Obvious Obscure. What about objectionable? I left the hardest one for last, didn't I? Even in hardship, I'm supposed to be thankful for that. I'm supposed to be thankful for this thorn in the flesh that I've had for years. I'm supposed to be thankful for an illness or a grief or a pain or a disappointment. Yes, you can give thanks for that. In the, in the worst of situations, this is where it really becomes a challenge like Matthew Henry did in being robbed. Think about what you have to be thankful for. If you can't think of anything specific, then start with the fact that God is with you in it. 
that he hasn't abandoned you, that you aren't alone in the midst of this hardship, this difficulty. We might not realize it at the time, but every painful, every difficult experience I've ever been through, I've been able to look back on in retrospect and realize that God was working in that situation. He was working in me to make a difference. Do you remember the story of Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt and his brothers coming and upon recognizing him and realizing what they had done, he said, it's okay. You may have meant it for evil, but what? God meant it for good. God took what you intended to be bad and turned it around for something positive. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. We might not realize it, but eventually God will turn it around and use it in the situation, in our relationships, maybe in our own lives, for good. He can redeem even the worst of situations. I mean, look what he did to the cross. If the cross, which was the symbol of evil, the worst thing that ever happened in the history of humanity, he took that and turned it into our salvation, the greatest event, and if he can do that with the cross, the worst, and turn it into the greatest, what can he do with our problems and our pains and our difficulties as well? He can bring something good from it. You remember the story of Corey Ten Boom? She died several years ago, uh, wrote a book, The Hiding Place, and talked about the story of her family hiding uh, Jewish refugees from the Nazis during World War II and how their family uh, was discovered and put into prison and the lessons that she learned from that. One of the things that happened while she was in prison, she and Betsy were together, her sister. And uh, Corey Ten Boom said, I just can't find anything good um, that's happening here. And Betsy had stumbled upon Philippians 4, 6, and everything give thanks. And Betsy said, Corey, we've got to find something to give thanks for. And, and Corey said, I can't, I just can't do it. And Betsy said, well... We can give thanks that we are together because a lot of families have been separated in these, in these prison camps. We can give thanks that we still have this Bible to read because a lot of folks have had their Bibles taken away from them. Corey said, well, I guess I can learn to give thanks that we're together as a family and that we have the Bible, but I'm telling you, these fleas that are infesting us, I cannot give thanks for these fleas. They are pests. They are making me miserable. And it wasn't until later when the Ten Boom family had been released from prison, had been rescued, that they learned that their Nazi guards were reluctant to go into their cell because of the fleas. It was the fleas, the Nazis said, that kept us out, that we left you alone. And so even those fleas that Corey Ten Boom could not give thanks for became a shield for them in protecting them from being molested or or tortured by the Nazis. Enterprise Alabama has a statue in the town square. And we're pretty close to Enterprise, so you probably know this story. But it's not a Confederate soldier, as you might expect. Enterprise Alabama has a monument to the boll weevil in the town square. And the reason why is in 1915, the boll weevil wiped out their cotton crop and they were at wit's end. But what 
it forced them to do turned into something positive because it, it forced them to diversify. And they, the next year they planted soybeans and corn and peanuts. And they began to diversify their crop and their economy flourished as a result so that boll weevil that initially looked like a problem, a difficulty, turned out to be a blessing and they erected a statue to it. Remember, Paul, if he were writing this from a castle, sitting on a cushion, eating bonbons, <laughs> it might mean one thing. But remember, Paul is writing from prison. And he is writing, in everything, give thanks. Paul, how can you say that? You are in prison and you are in chains. How can you be thankful? But I'm sure Paul was sitting in prison in chains and he was looking around for things to be thankful for. He's probably thankful for his salvation. He was probably thankful to the guard who was watching over him because he could preach to him. He was thankful for friends who supported and encouraged him and, and took notes on his letters and, and transmitted those letters out to churches that they might be encouraged. So Paul, even in prison, was able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In prison, Paul, really? Yes. In all things, give thanks. In prison, Paul, really? Yes, I'm sitting in prison and I can give thanks because God is good all the time. This is not a suggestion. It's not a request. It is a command. It is present, imperative, active. It is a command to give thanks in all things. In every situation, make it a game. Practice finding something for which to be grateful. Initially, it may be a challenge. It might be difficult, but you'll find it becoming more and more easy. You'll find it becoming a way of life <clears throat> as, as you begin to open your eyes and take the blinders off and see the blessings that God has overwhelmingly bestowed upon us. If it's obvious, give thanks. If it's obscure give thanks. If, if it's objectionable, start practicing giving thanks and be obedient to the command. Rudyard Kipling was such a popular author in his day that he was paid a great deal for his writings and someone calculated that every word that he wrote, uh, he pay, was paid about 10 shillings for in England. Well, he had some college students who didn't appreciate his work that much. And so they facetiously collected 10 shillings among themselves and sent him a note and said, okay, Mr. Kip Kipling, here's 10 shillings. Give us your best word. And so a few days later, they received a note from Rudyard Kipling with one word in it. And you can probably guess what it was. Thanks. That was a 10 shilling word. And if you have only one word to offer, let it be. Thanks. Let's bow together. God, I don't know what more we can say than thanks. Thanks for creating us. Thanks for loving us and caring about us, for knowing everything about us.
Thanks for all these worldly possessions you've entrusted to us. And most of all, thanks for Jesus and what he means for our life in this world and life to come. Evidence of your love surrounds us. Help us cultivate more gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.